Well, hello, and welcome back to another scary episode of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I'm your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I got some scary, scary stories for you today, boys and girls. <laughs> All right, ma'am. How is everybody doing? This is your good old host with the most scariest stuff and all. Stephen LaBooth. This is Ghost Stories Told from the South. So glad uh, everybody's listening and uh, my numbers are growing and getting better and I like it. And hey, on YouTube, my numbers are going good there. People are liking it. Thank you very much. My latest episode, you can go ahead and listen to that whole thing just because I haven't figured out I got this new program. To do the uh, YouTube stuff. And when I don't do a video, i got to put a still picture up there. And I haven't figured out how to keep the still picture up there through the whole podcast. So, because I've kind of learned when I do uh, videos of me uh, doing this, I don't get many reviews. That means y'all don't like my face. So, I'm not going to do them. But, go back and listen to that last episode on YouTube if you can, if you want to. Get the numbers up on it, but uh, my numbers are going good. I cannot complain. I want to say thank you very much to everybody around the world who listens. And um, guess what, guys? It's gotten cooler here in Texas. So that means I'm going to try maybe one Friday night to uh, do a podcast outside. See how that does. Now since it's getting cooler, cooler, cooler. But just want to say thank you guys for listening around the world. I know we have big listeners in Brazil, Canada, Spain, New Zealand, um, Germany. Um, Jesus, uh, the UK. Um, trying to think of everybody and not leave anybody out. But if I do, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, man, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. But without further ado, guys. Let's get into these scary, scary stories. We still got Canada stories. <coughs> I'll cover some other stuff, uh, other places. So, yeah. And I'm trying to think of a good theme for, I know, in, for October. I know it's Halloween, but I want to do something kind of cool like I always do for Halloween. But I'll dig into my research and find something for you, for you scary kiddos and kiddos. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. But anyways, guys, just want to say thank you, and uh, you know the routine, man. It's story time. So get you a nice warm blanket, cuddle up by the fire, get you some nice hot cocoa or some hot tea or whatever you prefer, and get ready to be scared. <laughs> All right, our first story <coughs> is the Plains of Abraham in Quebec. The museum is located on Vancouver Island in Victoria's historic Baston uh, Square. It is an impressive 1862 building, which it, which was the city's courthouse, jail, and gallows for the majority of the years. A famous ghost that resides. In this museum is Matthew Bigby, known known for can, known to Canada as the 
hanging judge. Apparently, this guy liked to hang people. <laughs> Staff and visitors, while on the third floor where the uh, courthouse was once located, have seen the ghost. His his tall figure dressed in black and uh, Rob's is seen walking across the uh, area where the court uh, bench is located. Voices, footsteps, and distract sweet smell of a pipe are all experienced in the in its room as well. And see, that's another thing too. Like if guys smoke cigarettes or cigars a lot, you'd get a whiff of cigar smoke or something. When they, you can't smoke in the building anymore and no one smokes a pipe. Yeah, pretty creepy. This museum staff and guides report many other ghosts that many other ghosts reside in this building. Some are believed to be criminals that were executed on the gallows in a small alcove of the uh, ship of the shipbuilder's room on the first floor. It's where visitors either individually or in groups report feeling of being choked. Others report feeling of a heavy weight as if something is standing on their shoulders. So, they're kind of feeling like how the guys that got hung felt. These reports do not surprise the staff, for many of them have is for many of them have had the same experience in being suffocated in this area. If if is in its uh, alcove where the gallows stood. So in that little alcove is where those gallows stood. And it's reported. It's been felt by groups and individuals. You know like something choking you. Or something on your shoulders. That's pretty weird. On the second floor directly below. Where the courthouse once stood. Are ship models. And exhibitions about the uh, Canadian Coast Guard. In the lighthouses. The staff feels that several of the exhibits and artifacts have ghostly eff effectively attracted to the uh, to them. Basically what they're saying is these items have ghosts uh, with them. So when they brought these pieces into the museum, the ghost would haunt the museum. It is in, this ga in these galleries that disembodied voices are heard and objects are moved without reason. Apparitions are also seen roaming around the area. Could you imagine being a security guard in somewhere like that? In a small, in a small non-public room that holds special collisions, staff always feel an overwhelming sense of, excuse me, despair and grief. This room is where, in the past, prisoners were held while they are awaiting the verdicts of their uh, court. Despite all of this, despite of this ongoing paranormal activity, the museum staff never gets the impression that these ghosts mean them any harm. 
Matthew Bigby was BC was BC's first chief of justice. He served on the uh, bench until until his death in 1894. Streets and schools and mountains in BC all bear the name, but Bigby is a controversial figure because of his role in the hanging of six chiefs during the Tilishongiri War. Hope I said that right and didn't fucking butcher it. Here's just a little bit more on this place. Known as one of Canada's most historical parts, the Plains of Abraham is a city park in Quebec City. It was the site of many fights between the French and the British empires, including the Battle of the Plains of uh, Abraham in 1759. This battle was one of the most important in Canada's history, and many soldiers died at the park. People have reported seeing seeing many soldiers like ghosts in the park fields and tunnels at night and in the afternoon so go to this area go to that museum and you go to that park and see some crazy stuff too that would be pretty sweet i know i'd probably scare myself to death though (laughs) sorry if i sound a little congested this morning my allergies are really kicking my booty sorry i didn't get in here last night and record but I took the kids to the high school football game last night. We was up kind of late. Didn't get in late. All right. Okay. Now our next story. Where am I? Okay. Next story, ladies and gents. Is the uh, Maritime Museum in BC. Now, a Keeper's Museum. Oh, Maritime Museum. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> okay. All right, I messed that up pretty bad. That was I, the first story I did was two and one, and I didn't know. It was about the Plains of Abraham, like I said, in the park. And then the, I guess the Maritime Museum was the first story I did. So I am so sorry about that. But our next story is about the West Point Lighthouse. The West Point Lighthouse. Carl Livingston has had her share of spine-chilling experiences at PEI's West Point Lighthouse. There was the time she saw and thought she saw a bearded man in the corner of a bedroom. And who can explain the lights? She's seen and heard more than one story about them flickering on and off mysteriously. That's why it's no surprise to Livingston the West Point Lighthouse has made Reader's Digest lists a list of Canada's most haunted places. There have been unusual things that have happened there, for sure, says Lighthouse uh, manager, known as Mrs. Lighthouse, 
for her work with the PEI Lighthouse Society over the decades. Now, this little story, there's still the talking about the lighthouse, but this one's a little stories entitled, The Old Keepers Come Back. Her mother's grandfather, Carl's, Carl's great-grandfather, was William Anderson McDonald, the lighthouse keeper at West Point for 50 years. That's a long time. I think sometimes the old keepers come back and visit, visit and see how we're keeping the lighthouse, the light. She said, in the early days, volunteers would take turns staying over at the uh, lighthouse when the manager and his wife had their days off. Excuse me. It kind of makes the chilling, the chills run up and down your spine when something like that happens. If there was no one staying at the lighthouse, the volunteers would check the uh, building and then head home. This particular evening, evening, I've gone up to the top and came back down on the second floor. <clears throat> there was a dwelling, Livingston said. The room was known as the Keeper's Quarter. I thought I got a glimpse of something uh, of a bearded man over in the corner by the window on the floor. I thought, that's odd, and blinked again and didn't see anything the second time. So I, so I, so I filled as, and I felt as if an unusual thing. I think what they're trying to say is they seen something and they felt kind of uncomfortable. Because one minute it was there, next minute the old bearded guy was gone. Here's a story about the bedroom light. When Livingston told another of the volunteers, she had a similar story. One evening when she was staying there, the same thing. She went up to the top, checked everything out on the uh, way down, looked, the, looked at the lighthouse door, Livingston said. Lo, lo and behold, she looked up and there was a light in the uh, bedroom. The same bedroom that I thought I'd just seen something. The volunteer went back in the lighthouse and turned off the light. But as it but as she got the car got, mm, but as she got in her car, she looked up and the light was back on again. She decided that she decided if there was something in there that wanted it that bad, they could uh, darn well have it, she said. Personally, through the years, that area seems to be a place where unusual things happen. So apparently this chick was doing her rounds. The light kept coming back on. She turned it off. She went outside the building, getting ready to leave. And lo and behold, the light come back on by itself. In the late 1980s, a group of uh, board members were at the lighthouse in March. Looking at plans for a kitchen renovation, it was dark when they left and they carefully turned off all the power. Except for the switch <coughs> that went to the light. Livingston said she had left the uh, drawings in the kitchen, so she took a flashlight to go back and retrieve them. As they were leaving, Livingston said, 
someone from the uh, community rushed up to ask him for help, looking for a man who had gone missing. The board members divided up to search to search the lighthouse, and when they got to the kitchen, the lights were on. It wasn't ten minutes we had shut everything off and had to use a flashlight to get into the kitchen. It's kinda it kinda makes the chills run up and down your spine when something like that happens. She likes to use that expression a lot. That's little stories, lights on and off. Another time Livingston was working late in the manager's room. The lighthouse was operating as an inn, so she was staying the night. She recalls there was a ceiling light and a light by the bed. At a quarter to twelve, the light by the bed, the bulb burned out. I figured, she said. She decided it was time to go to bed. About half past two, I woke up and she said the light, the light over my bed had came back on. So there was... So there I was with something, somebody, somewhere, that light that had turned itself out, had turned it back on, and worked for the uh, rest of the season. That's pretty weird. Livingston says the incident gave her the uh, spooks. I didn't sleep very well that uh, rest of the night at all. She asked people with the le- electricity uh with electricity uh, experiences experience people are electricians she uh, went around asking electricians about the light. No one could give her a real good explanation of why it would do that. Livingston suggested it, it's no consensus con- consensus. That most of the events revolve around the lights. What else? It's a lighthouse. There was only two light keepers, she said. Besides her great her great grandfather, the other lighthouse keeper was Benjamin Miss Miss Clack, better known as Benny. Benny was a great fellow for telling stories, Livingston said. As a young as a youngster, she and her friends would watch Benny as he got the light going for the night, which usually took a ha- took a ha- took a half an hour. When they were leaving the light, they passed a room on the second floor, and the door was always closed. Almost always, someone would say, "What's it? What's in there, Benny?" Livingston said, and Benny would say, "You don't want to know." And he'd hurry up as he would hurry up, hurry. He would hurry us, uh, he would hurry us out the door. Livingston does not have. Oh, anyways. Okay, here's another little story about the ghostly. Still, the treasures her. Still, she treasures her memories of the lighthouse keepers. And their continuing presence at the West Point Lighthouse. She does not like to use the word haunted. She prefers the word visited. 
perhaps visited by the old keepers more than the more than haunted because there are never there have never been anything harmful to us she said <coughs> i sometimes wonder if they are just keeping uh, keeping in touch with us and here's a little poem that somebody wrote i think what i what i could tell from the research on this this is a poem about poem about the lighthouse someone wrote while they was uh, there or it was one of the town uh, one of the residents but anyways it's called west point light on the sandy shores of pei you'll find the west point light where it's good for a hundred years or more. Flashing into the night to warn lonely sailors of the dangerous reef. Also fishing to be sure no ships would come to grieve. I mean, to yeah, to grieve. I've heard many stories of when the lighthouse was new. Shipwrecks and buried treasure and ghosts. They had a few. How once a headless seaman walked the uh, sands at night, sharing for searching for a Phenom ship that never came in sight. When I was much younger and couldn't get to sleep, I'd count the flashes of the light instead of counting sheep. Now every time that I return, the old light seems to smile. Welcome, when, welcome. Worry, traveling, stop and rest a, rest a while. Then one day, automation caught up to the light, and when the workmen finished, it was, the different, it was a different light. The old home and the building were quickly torn down, leaving the light flashing lonely on the ground. The friendly lighthouse keeper quickly moved away, no more to greet the people that walk there every day. Now in my dreams I see th I see him with the ghostly lantern bright climbing up to the narrow stairs once more to check the light. Yay, that was a pretty cool poem. Not too shabby. All right, let me get a drink of the vodka and we'll get another stubby. We got two more. Sorry if I screwed that first one up by putting two in one. I didn't have my notes set up right for the show, apparently. <laughs> oh. Okay. Got one more big story and one more shorty. Now we're going to go over the Beacon Hill Parks in Victoria, B.C. Many stories of the Beacon Hill Park in Victoria, B.C. Beacon Hill Park, a public park belonging to the city of Virginia, excuse me, since, uh, since 1882, excuse me, is a place where people go for health, beauty and entertainment, and peace of mind. With the multitude of, of, of scenic trails, a petting zoo, a wading pool, water fountains, a band 
Pahlavian sports fields, monuments, and more. You could say you could easily get lost there for a day. It is a metropolis of activity at any time of the year, being a draw for both tourists and residents for all these wonderful reasons. Okay, the dark side of the park. Then there are those of us who find interest in the other side. As I like to put it, at, put it of Beacon Hill Park, it's a historic, its history is riff with controversy, disputes, and new beginnings. It has also been the site of, unfortunately, of many deaths. These are many, these are, these are very consistent of suicides, accidents, and fatalities due to the natural causes. Tragedies each and every one of them. I myself had a really good friend whom I adored, <coughs> excuse me, who died at the entrance of the park at the age of 24. That's fucking creepy. There is one story, though, that stands out from the rest. It's the story of a woman who didn't die by her own hand or due to simple fate. Her life was taken by another. Granted, the park back in the early, early history was the scene of duels and the like as and, uh, duels and the like, as well as other similar uh, accidents. But this woman is different. What makes the story truly unique is that this woman was the source of the hauntings before she even died. Now that's creepy. Usually a person haunts a place or their spirit haunts a place when something tragic happens there or they're just kind of stuck in limbo and don't know they're dead. This girl was haunting it before she died. The Tale of Two Women In the late 1970s, there were witnesses to dark, complex women with long blonde hair standing, standing atop a rock in the park at the Douglas Street in Southgate Corner. She simply stood unmoving, unmoving, morning after morning, for several months. The people who saw this woman thought it, thought it, thought it was strange that she was just standing there every day but they didn't take much notice of her otherwise after she stopped showing up she was soon forgotten little el little else is really known about its uh, these sightings In 1983, a woman with fair skin and long dark hair was reportedly seen standing atop the same rock the morning after morning, or morning after morning, repeating the behavior of her predecessor from the decade before. She reminded local residents of the uh, earlier woman. With two experiences first, this woman had opposite complexion and her and hair colors and say in second she was the most obvious in the of the apparitions 
Her appearance was vampirious, misty, and uh, not comparable. So you had two women that would go and their ghost or whatever would just sit there on these rocks every morning and people was like, mm, okay. And I guess this is still telling about the uh, story of the ladies. So It says, discover of the body. Then on November 15th of 1983, a body was found in a shallow grave under some brush near the rock where the women had been spotted. The remains of a, of a female who fit the description of the dark-haired woman, and it was soon discovered that she was a local woman who had gone missing on June, on June 2nd, 1983. They estimated that she had been crudely burned there the whole time she had been missing. They, the spot laying only meters from the well-used path. The woman with the silent scream. Since then, the dark-haired woman has been spotted by people using the path, usually sighting, sitting upon the rock where she had been standing. It's usually said that the apparition is one of the one of response, almost as if she is uh, meddling, meddling, but her mouth is hanging open in a silent scream. So instead of her just staring or talking, she's just sitting there with her mouth open, just ah! that would creep me out, man. I would probably run like a schoolgirl. I'd be like, oh no. <coughs> All right, many passerbys have said that they have stopped to ask her if she was okay, only to be completely ignored. These stories vary after they walk away. Some have said they turned and looked back, but she but she had completely disappeared. Others have, others have said they looked back and saw her turning to a mist and vanishing. That's weird. The doppelganger theory. The word doppelganger comes from the German language and refers to one as du as a double. Many other cultures have a word for this uh, phenom, and the doubles they also have been referred to as finches and verdodgers, depending on where in the world you rest, depending on where you live in the world. In Norse myths, myths, the Vardarger presents the person performing the task. They are soon not too ahead of them. As for doppelgangers and finches, the folklore goes that if yours if yours is seen, it's a Harboring of your death and considering a very ominous. Many people throughout history have claimed to see their, see their doppel, doppelganger among them after Abraham Lincoln and Queen Elizabeth I, who reportedly saw her doppelganger lying in her bed shortly before she passed away. Was the blonde woman the Doppelganger of the murdered woman? Yeah, because the murdered woman 
Didn't she have black hair? Many have argued that the earlier woman seen in Beacon Hill Park, the blonde-haired version, was the doppelganger of the uh, murdered woman. The dark-haired apparition is her spirit and has only appeared since her death. The phantom, the phenom of her doppelganger is being, being blonde-white. She was brunette. Also, has some basic, some basis in paranormal history. Many times prior to reports have been made of doppelgangers appearing as a photo negative of the person, which would explain the earlier version was fair-haired and dark-skinned. Now, here are some of the facts behind the hauntings. According to an article written by Rob Shaw of the Times Colonist back in uh, 2008, Donna Mitchell was the mother of a little girl, and she went missing on June 2nd of 1983. She was a fair-complexed woman with long, dark hair. She was reported missing by her excuse me, common-law husband, who said he knew something was wrong when she did not come home from her daughter's seventh birthday. She had been spotted downtown having drinks with friends. The last time she was seen alive was later the evening near the Empress Hotel. The police collected what information they could, but beyond tracing her to the uh, Embrace, the trail went cold. So they followed... They got what information they had. They followed her all the way to this hotel, and then it just went cold. When they didn't have anything else after that, her case her case stagnated until the body was discovered at Beacon Hill Park on November on November fifteenth of nineteen eighty three. Other reports and residents have confirmed that the site is the same location as the sightings of the two strange women, who both strangely resemble the victim. According to Shaw's article, forensic testing showed she had been strangled and her body had been put there shortly after she uh, after her demise. Now that it was ruled a homicide and not someone disappearing uh, disappearing off their own accord, the police were the police went forward and started questioning friends, family, and. Uh, Asking her uh, uh, family and then asking about her background and stuff. The discovery and death of a suspect. It was long before they had a suspect whom they learned lived in Vancouver and was in Vancouver at the same time that Michelle went missing. An investigator went to interview the man and then became... An undercover investigator. What? <clears throat> and then, here's what it says. An investigator went to interview the man, then began an undercover in, uh, investigation. Oh, okay. Within months of Donna Mitchell's death, the police had enough evidence, and the Crown Willing issued a warrant for the suspect's arrest. Unfortunately, just before the two investigators 
were about to travel to Vancouver. The Vancouver police contacted them to say that the suspect had been found dead, hanging. Wow, pretty interesting. The case goes very cold. To date, with no arrests, no convictions, and no firm confirmations of guilt, the Donna Mitchell case officially remains cold and most likely always will. To the investigators who have the evidence before them, this case is solved. Well, it's kind of solved, but it's not because they believe the person who did it was the one they found that hung himself. All right, that was a pretty good story. See, and that kind of makes, that's another thing where a person died traumatically and their ghost is there. But it don't make any sense how the ghost was there before she disappeared and died. That's some crazy, cool, cool stuff, I tell you right there. Cool, cool. All right, let's get ready for our last, our next and last story, ladies and gents. Our last story is St. Anne's Academy in Victoria, B.C. St. Anne's Academy was built in the mid-1800s by the Roman Catholic Congression of Women and the Sisters of Saints Adam of Lachie, Quebec. It was, it was a boarding and day school as well as convict and note-of-date Many nuns were buried on the grounds in their own cemetery from 1864 through 1908. These remains were uninhibited and moved to to the moved to the a new plot in the Rose Bay Cemetery in 1974. Why would you move them unless you putting a building there? In 1973, the sisters sold the property to the Providence government of British Columbia. For years, it was used as office space until it needed many repairs that had it to be closed. Years of building debate on what to do with the building went by. The sisters, perhaps the original founders, were so were so concerned that their ghosts began to be seen at the front of the building are something the ghost nuns are looking for their grave. some think the nuns are looking for their graves well that would make make sense too you going up move somebody's grave let's see uh, what else we got eventually the interior of the building was gutted <laughs> rebuilt and opened in 1997. Most of the building was leased to the BC Ministry of Advanced Education. A use cons consistent with the sisters' aims. The rest of the property is used for and venue for concerts, weddings, and other big events. There are also rumors that Thomas Hooper, the architect of the St. Anne's, killed people and had been poured into the foundation to give his building soul. I guess here are some of the uh, stuff people have been seeing. 
ghostly nuns are often on the grounds on the early morning. An eerie presence is explained when walking around this building. Dark figures in doorways. Mysterious sightings at singings at night. So you got singings at night. Uh, figures in doorways. Well, when you got an old place like this and these nuns, that's all they knew was that place. You know, they get trapped inside of a loop kind of thing. You know, they're so used. They're, they just love a place so much and they've been there their whole life. Well, then you go and move their graves to somewhere else, which means their body left, but their souls and stuff were still there. And then... You remodel the whole place, man, and remodeling, they say, really brings out the ghost because you're disturbing this, disturbing that, so, yeah, pretty scary stuff, man, that's kind of crazy, I don't know what I'd do if I've seen a freaking ghost nun, especially after seeing that scary movie, you know, the nun, and then seeing that uh, one scary movie that had the nun in that picture, yeah, the two married couple, can't remember what the name of that movie was where that nun was in the picture and came out. Yeah. Yeah, just, I'd shit my pants. I'm not going to lie. I'd crap my pants. Ugh. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Sorry it was a little short. Sorry, sorry I'm a little late doing it. But I love you guys. Just want to say thank you once again. You can go find this podcast, guys, uh, on Spotify. We're pretty much on any platform now. And go check out our YouTube channel. And just because the screen's blank, it is still have audio. I'm still working on the still picture part of that. But go check out my latest episode there. Episode 73, guys. Give it some love and some likes. And uh, just keep keep doing what you're doing, guys. I like doing this. <coughs> and I can't wait for Halloween. Because Halloweeny is around the corner, man. And I am so pumped. So ready, and I hope you guys are too. But I got a lot of foosball to watch today and chores to do. But you guys, be good, be real. Hey, go check me out on uh, on my uh, Facebook page, Ghost Stories Told from the South, too, guys. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And if you guys have any stories at all, please send them to me, and I'll talk about them. I'd love to in interact with the uh, fans of the show, too, guys. So don't be afraid. And leave me some uh, some reviews, four star, five star, whatever you want to do, guys. Just leave me a review. That's what keeps its uh, ship going. That's uh, lets me know uh, what y'all really think about the show. So leave me some comments on YouTube's. I know on Spotify you can. I'm pretty sure on Amazon, iTunes, all the other places you can too, guys. So just remember, be scary and have fun. And this is uh, Stephen LeBooth with Ghost Stories Told from the South. And I will see you later, my creepy, creepy friends.